As the dance card for the NCAA tournament fills up, one of the best in basketball sitting in a Russian jail on charges of drug trafficking. And another state joins the line as Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds becomes the 11th governor to make discrimination against transgender youth in school sports legal. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And the news heading through this week as conflict between Russia and Ukraine continues. Phoenix Mercury Center, Brittany Griner, the seven-time WNBA All-Star and two-time league MVP and two-time Olympic gold medalist for Team USA, has been detained by Russian officials for the last three weeks after being arrested in Moscow while attempting to leave the country to escape the hostilities. Now, Greiner plays for UMMC Ekaterinburg, a team in the Russian Super League between WNBA seasons. And the official Russian news agency TASS released a video showing her arrest due to drug charges. Greiner was detained by customs officials for having hash oil cartridges for vaping in her luggage. If convicted, she faces a 10-year prison sentence for drug trafficking. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken addressed the issue Tuesday while meeting with Moldovan President Maya Sandu. Uh, whenever an American is detained anywhere in the world, uh, we of course stand ready to provide every possible assistance. We have an embassy team that's working on the cases of, uh, of other Americans uh, who are detained uh, in Russia. We're doing everything we can to see to it that their rights are upheld and respected. From my perspective, um, in times like these, it's important that we maintain uh, our uh, diplomatic contacts, uh, that we uh, maintain um, the uh, diplomatic support, uh, particularly support that we can provide to uh, Americans who may need it. Uh, and so that's what, uh, that's what I'm focused on doing. Greiner's wife, Sherelle Greiner, issued a statement via Instagram Tuesday. Thanks to everyone who's reached out to me regarding my wife's safe return from Russia. Your prayers and support are greatly appreciated. I love my wife wholeheartedly. So this message comes during one of the weakest moments of my life. I understand that many of you have grown to love BG over the years and have concerns and want details. Please honor our privacy as we continue to work on getting my wife home safely. Thank you. Here at home, the trans rights legislative fight continues. As we went to air last week, Indiana was confirming passage of a trans student-athlete ban there. Iowa followed suit the same day. And last Thursday, in a ceremony at the Iowa State Capitol, Republican Governor Kim Reynolds signed the bill, HF 2416, into law, making Iowa the 11th state to pass a trans student-athlete ban. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb has yet to sign Indiana's measure. In the middle of that, a person who needs to be recognized. Iowa Safe Schools Executive Director Becky Smith. As the ceremony was occurring, she put forth her own protest for those who couldn't be there. Silently looming over the proceedings, looming over Kim Reynolds signing the bill, while holding up a trans flag. Just a silent note, a protest coming from transgender Iowans. Becky Smith, you have a standing invitation to be beamed up to the transporter room anytime you want. Other states are racing to join the line. Such bills are pending in Arizona and Georgia. Two other states, Utah and Kansas, have governors who have opposed such measures and have put their veto power behind them. We'll have more on Kansas later in the podcast. Such is a recent wave of action against LGBTQ people nationwide, from Florida's Don't Say Gay Law to the Texas Initiative to punish affirming parents using their child abuse laws to now Alabama and Idaho seeking to criminalize affirming health care. Idaho seeks to give life sentences to health care providers who engage in affirming health care for trans youth. Don't think this is just here in the United States. This goes global. I'm talking worldwide. A ban on trans youth in sport 
has the support of Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who's in the middle of a punishing election fight. Now, I know a certain trans woman, athlete, and outback badass who may have a few things to say about this deer in the headlights, as she would call it. Memo to Prime Minister Morrison. I'd like to see you try and campaign for this bill in Broken Hill, New South Wales. Hashtag just saying. We all know what this is about. It's about cruelty. It's transphobia as an election prop. And of course, there's the transphobes' number one target, and you know who I'm talking about. The story is circulating about Leah Thomas. Leah has not rolled back what she gained in male puberty. I didn't like the fact that she was the target of this. It was a lot of right-wing news outlets that were covering Leah. We're at the University of Pennsylvania right now. Here's what's happening. There is a guy destroying uh, the girls' uh, race times, their records. Of course, there's tons of hate and very cruel commentary online, and um, and I know that she's uh, she's not reading it. For, for Leah, it's purely been a question of can I be allowed to do what I love doing while still being who I truly am. And of course, there's the transphobes' number one target, University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas. She was the subject of an article in the online and soon to the print editions of Sports Illustrated. Robert Sanchez wrote an, a profile on Thomas. And if you hadn't read it, I'll put it in the thread below this post on our Twitter page. Sanchez painted a humane and complex picture, and it delved into some of the backstory and did a part of the story in regards to the situation within the University of Pennsylvania swim team. Sanchez's reportage has also met with some derision. Certain commenters have gone as far as accosting Sanchez and his family on his social media. Now others, such as Swimming World Editor-in-Chief John Lon, says that there should be an asterisk next to Thomas' name. Lon, in an article a few days ago in Swimming World magazine, said, quote, There's a reason three asterisks adorn the top of this column. One for each of the events University of Pennsylvania's Leah Thomas will contest at the upcoming NCAA Women's Swimming and Diving Championships. If the NCAA desired to conduct a fair championship competition, Thomas would not have received an invitation to Atlanta. A response to this was here on this podcast three weeks ago from University of Colorado professor Roger Pilkey Jr. Um, it is never acceptable to ban or exclude an individual from participating in an area of society where they are perfectly legitimate and recognized to do so based on their physical characteristics. I don't care if it's their skin color. Um, it, I don't care if it's their chromosomes. Um, there has to be, and this is, I mean, there's well-established law in the Paralympics um, in the rights of disabled people is, is, is probably the most notable example. There has to be reasonable accommodations made for inclusion. That doesn't mean anything goes. It means that we have to look carefully at what the criteria of inclusion are. So I would tell Nancy and anyone else who, who is of the view that we need a blanket ban um, of trans athletes or trans women from women's competition, um, you got your head wrong. You're, you're starting from the wrong place. If you're starting to think, how can we exclude these people? That's prejudice and discrimination. At this time next week, Leah Thomas, along with Two Penn teammates will head to Atlanta. Also competing is Isaac Hennig, swimmer for Yale University, who is a trans man who put transition on hold for a last season with his teammates on the women's team at Yale, something he is allowed to do by NCAA rules. In the article, Thomas said the following, which some see as controversial. Quote, I'm a woman just like anyone else on the team. I've always viewed myself as just a swimmer. It's what I've done for so long. It's what I love. I get into the water every day and do my best. Now, I want to ask certain people, certain commentators, certain people who claim to be forging a middle ground and a middle way for women's and girls' athletes, well, including trans athletes. You know who I'm talking about. 
when Leah Thomas says, I'm a woman just like anybody else on the team, it's a statement of fact. Why is this controversial? There are those who say she shouldn't compete. Well, Professor Pelkey just a minute ago said why that's false. There are some who say she doesn't look like a woman. Yada, yada, yada. To those people, body shaming is not an argument. And there are some who hoot, holler, and yell. Those girls on the pen team who don't think she should be swimming with them, they've been silenced. They're the victims. That is a lie. Here's how some recent guests on the transporter room have looked at how Lee has been treated in all this. One was Oberlin College swimmer Lucas Draper, who wrote an op-ed in Swimming World talking about why Leah shouldn't be a target. I didn't like the fact that she was the target of this. I still don't like the fact that she is the target of this. Yes, she is the reason that people and her performance and her ability and her skill is what has sort of brought her into the limelight, but I don't like the fact that the issue has become about Leah Thomas because it's not about Leah Thomas. It's about the rules, but yet people keep making it about Leah. And that was kind of why I wanted to write the piece that I did was because I didn't like the fact that people were making judgments about Leah rather than about the rules. And there was Alejandra Caraballo from Harvard Law School's Cyber Law Project talking about why Leah is the victim here. And she puts forth a stark example. Look at what the Daily Mail has been doing. The, the Daily Mail was sending a reporter to sit in the bushes in Florida to take pictures surreptitiously of college-age women in bathing suits. Pervs. Yes, in any other context, that would have just been creepy, perverted, and sick. But because they're doing it to go after trans bodies, somehow, like, that's okay? And, like, this, no, it's fucking creepy and it's sick. It is the sincere wish of this reporter that as we head into this next week in the NCAA Swimming Championships, and as we continue to see the legislative actions in state after state that people of goodwill, especially allies, speak up and speak out. We could use a little San Diego loyal right now. I will speak. I will act. And that's the red alert klaxon, so that means we got to take a little break. Give love to the sponsors, but when we come back to the transporter room, we get another dispatch from the front, this time from Kansas. And friend of the podcast and state representative Stephanie Byers joins us as we look at how the Midwestern front is shaping up and how the Sunflower State could be the place where the tide turns. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the transporter room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this week is a special week if you like some basketball especially. This is Championship Week, the final push to the NCAA's men's and women's basketball tournaments, and the dance cards filling up in one place that loves its basketball is the Sunflower State, Kansas. The Kansas Jayhawks are projected to be a number one seed in the Division I men's tournament and Division II Washburn's men are in. In the women's draw, Kansas State, led by Ayoka Lee, is projected to be in. Fort Hay State earned an automatic bid in Division II. But Kansas is also another front in the fight over trans rights and the continuing cut-and-paste saga of trans students, mainly trans girls and women, participating in interscholastic and intercollegiate sport. But Kansas is also a little bit different because there's some rays of sunshine in the Sunflower State. A year ago, a similar bill was vetoed by Democratic Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, and then it was upheld 
by the state Senate as an attempt to override the governor's veto failed. A new attempt, Senate Bill 484, was introduced and met a committee hearing, and as expected, the usual suspects lined up to sell it. The Alliance Defending Freedom had their lawyer there and had one of their best mouthpieces there, Idaho Republican State Representative Barbara Earhart, showing why she's becoming an accomplished paid professional transphobe. Right here in Idaho, we, our athletes, had the um, disadvantage of having to compete against John, uh, June Eastwood, who had run as John Eastwood for three years at the University of Montana, the last year deciding to run as June. And June annihilated our women in the um, Big Sky NCAA championships, annihilated our women in 2020. Representative Earhart, just a little note for you. June Eastwood graduated two years ago. Stop misgendering her and deadnaming her and please grow up. But on the other side, you heard the following voice. What is it like to be a transgender woman or girl in today's environment? You receive messages like this and I quote, stop appropriating and making a mockery of womanhood, you fat useless fuck, end quote. As an elected, I expect this, but for a kid, how detrimental is something like this to their mental health? Bullying takes its toll. Bullying is considered such because the behavior is aggressive and it has to include two components, an imbalance of power, either real or perceived, and repetition, either actually taking place or a possibility of it. We see an imbalance of power with this, and we see repetition because this bill came up from last year. So there's no new argument for this. This bill is based on the idea of fear and the fact that they belief that trans girls are not real girls. And for whoever actually wrote this bill, because we know it's come up all across the United States, why do you, well, how do you define biological male? And how do you arrive at that definition? And do you even know for sure what your biology says about you? At the end of the day, human beings exist in relationships. And when you look at this bill, are you opening doors for relationships with your children, your grandchildren, or closing them? Because my parents didn't know I was transgender until I was 51 years old. There would, it took me a long time before I could bring myself to the light. I walked in the dark for a long time without a parental hand to hold because I wasn't sure because of comments they had made when we were younger. We need to stop this because nothing's going to stop people from being transgender. They will still be transgender. And nothing we do is going to end that. And none of us need to take a jump to the left or a step to the right. And there is no reason for us to put our hands on our hips. We need to stop this time warp because we don't need to go through it again. Position of power? Repeated behavior? I oppose SB 484. Trans girls are real girls, and we don't need to continue bullying trans kids. The voice you just heard is Democratic State Representative Stephanie Byers. She taught music in the Wichita Public Schools for 29 years. She retired in 2019, but didn't retire from community service. She ran for the Kansas House in the 86th District in her area of Wichita. And as the fingers of the nation bit their fingernails down to the quick on election night 2020. Byers won a victory by 9 percentage points to make her Kansas's first transgender elected official and the first indigenous transgender person elected to the public office in U.S. history. And she's here to discuss the fight in the heartland and how progressive values are winning in a state that just a few years ago was a symbol of the reactionary right. Joining us from the Sunflower State, Representative Stephanie Byers. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. Thank you. So glad to be here. It was just a couple days ago when you were in the Senate Education Committee in Kansas speaking out against Senate Bill 484, and we just heard the, the passion, but also the anger in your voice coming through there? I, I think that there's the fatigue of having to face these over and over again. And when you go in to, to make your testimony, you're trying to figure out, you know, what are the words I can use to sway people, to get them to understand, get them to see. And uh, the, the quote that I started off my testimony with was something that had been messaged to me last week. And so it was fresh in my mind. And I know that I hear these things. I know that trans kids, when they walk the halls of their high schools, have plenty of people who support them and love them. But there are those bullies that come in and attack them. And having been a former public educator, having spent 
so many in-services discussing bullying, talking about what bullying is, I began to recognize the pattern. You know, according to bullying.org, bullying happens when there is an imbalance of power, either real or perceived, uh, and, and aggressive behavior coming from that imbalance of power that is either repeated or has the potential to be repeated. And so when you look at something like banning trans girls from sports, it's the state legislature versus a trans girl. There's the imbalance of power. This bill came up last year. This bill came up again this year. There's the repetition. How can you call us anything other than bullying? And a trans kid, you know, what kind of a voice do they have in a place of power? We, I, I would celebrate them because I'm honestly, I think kids are completely underestimated as to what they can accomplish. You know, those kids that are out there, we know they make a huge and tremendous difference in everything they do, but it takes an extra push to be able to get to this level. And when you're talking about a kid having to miss school to come to the state house to testify, they need a voice from, from adults. And so as a transgender person, and I decided that it's my voice. And so I took it into that room. And I confronted them with the realities of what trans people face and with the reality that this is a bill that bullies kids, you know, and we can talk all day long about the physiological differences and the fallacies in their testimony regarding what they said are the physical differences between men and women. I mean, I sat there, I listened to testimony over and over again. They said the 100 fastest high school boys are faster than the Olympic runner. Okay, fine. But how does that Olympic female runner compare to a trans girl runner in high school? We don't know. That's not something that anybody looks at. They brought up Connecticut again. And I'm sitting in the back I wish they stop. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the back of the room saying, you know, the, the, the girl that filed that lawsuit beat both those trans girls twice the week after she filed the lawsuit. Nobody talks about that. They brought up Leah Thomas. They don't mention Katie Ledecky. Katie Ledecky's swim records are so far out there that Leah Thomas is going to have to bust her butt to try to even get close to beating those. We're not talking about trans people being superstars automatically. They have to work at it like anybody else does. And, you know, it, it's, it's just these fallacies one after another after another. And, of course, then they brought in, you know, Dr. Mark Steffen, who's a senator here in Kansas. Uh, he's kind of nicknamed Ivermectin Steffen. Because <laughs> uh, uh, he, he sponsored legislation to save his own career because he says he's under investigation with Kansas Board of Healing Arts because he prescribed drugs for COVID that are not that are off label. Sometimes it just gets so much you just can't yeah you, you can't deal with it in any other way but to be upfront and brutal. I, I'm still going to have to call my mom and apologize for one word I used in my testimony. Um, oh, I, that's not language I normally <laughs> use. Oh, we oh we kept it in. I mean, I was a little, <laughs> but that was one. Of, but that was one of the things because oftentimes when I've heard you speak, yes, there is a stridence, but this was different. I agree with that anger because I hold it, especially for the people that once again continually to mention Connecticut. Attention, all Republicans trying to sell this cut and paste nonsense. Leave my state alone. Leave Connecticut kids alone. ADF, leave us alone. We've chased exactly. you out of our state once. And when you talk about ADF, you know, we know the Alliance Defending Freedom is the law legal arm of focus on the family. And then there's the political lobbying arm, which is the Family Policy Alliance, which here in Kansas is called the Kansas Family Voice. So of the 11 proponents for this bill, they're either politicians that are receiving campaign contributions or campaign assistance from ADF or Focus on the Family or Family Policy Alliance, or they're directly employed in the case of the lawyer who is the spokesperson for Kansas Family Voice or the lawyer for ADF. There's, we, we had an entire city council that was a proponent for this. And of the seven members of that city council, six of them receive assistance from these groups. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's this, this national organization that continually comes back into state after state after state and attacks. And the language in the Kansas bill is verbatim 
to the language that was signed into law by Kristen Nome and South Dakota. It's not any different. It's not original. It's not new. And they don't even have the courtesy to name their target. You know, out of the, how many bills were there last year that came through? 180 some odd uh, that were against trans kids. And only eight of them used the word transgender. So they're trying to erase people out of existence, even with the way they write the law. You, you just can't sit there anymore and, and, and be polite. Exactly. You know, you, you, you've you've got you've to do something to wake people up. Because there's this misunderstanding by a lot of people that, oh, the majority of Kansans want this. No, the majority of Kansans don't. When you take polling and you ask people about these things, and you explain to them that the High School Activities Association already has a plan in place for dealing, for dealing with trans students. If they want to participate in, that, in activities, there's a process. And you explain to them the NCAA, even if they punted on their own process, now have 90 different processes, but there is still a process for dealing with trans athletes. Then people go, well, why are we doing this? You know, 71% of people say, why are we passing legislation to ban trans kids if there's already processes in place? We think it's just a kid that wants to do this, and it's no. There's even even in Kansas, and you're not going to find it very easily because it doesn't apply to a lot of people. But it does, and there's a process, and there is a way to make it work. One year ago, one vote, one legislator from from Metro Kansas City stood up and vetoed this, and the difference was one vote to uphold a veto. Are you expecting to go there again? Yeah, and we're probably expecting to go the same way it did last time. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. If, if, this, if the Senate Ed Committee passes it out of education and it goes to the Senate floor and it gets voted again, then we'll see. But, you know, last year it never made it to the House side. But there was a conference committee on another bill and they stripped the guts out of it and they substituted that bill in its place. And that's how it made it in. Made it or made it through a legislative procedural move. So basically, it had half the hearings it was supposed to have. And we kind of expect the same thing to happen this time. We have a tougher battle too because one of the moderate Republicans that voted with us on the Senate side last year has already announced that he's flipped his vote. Even he announced it before we even heard the bill. You know, um, so we, we've got more of an uphill battle with it, but. I think that, that maybe there's enough fatigue and we've got, I, I think, well, definitely yesterday's outpouring from people shows the difference. I mean, there were 11 proponents. There were 126 opponents to this bill. That, that's written. I mean, there were 100 people in the room. We had to open up a second room uh, via, you know, closed circuit TV uh, to try to make it accommodate everybody because the room's completely packed. We had the Kansas Association of School Boards that was an opponent instead of neutral to this. We had the State Board of Education that were opponents instead of neutral to this. Um, we had the Kansas Board of Regents. We, you know, the Kansas Association of Independent Colleges came in as neutral, but even on their neutral testimony, they're like, we don't want this. You know, if you're going to do this, you're, there's, you got to take the legal language out. No one can be opened up to lawsuits for this. And of course, you know, who knows what the NCAA is going to do? The Kansas is primed to host a lot of significant NCAA tournaments coming up. You know, whether we're talking about the NCAA Division II National Wrestling Tournament, tournament in Wichita, or we're talking about the Division I sub-tournaments that are going to take place in women's basketball in Wichita, um, or even when you look at, at Kansas City sporting events and, you know, MLS soccer. And, I mean, it's, it's just going to go crazy. Other states are going to sit down and say, you're not welcome to come play here because of the fact that you have discriminating laws in your state. How much will electoral politics, you think, play into this process? Well, I think that's what this is. It's an election year. We've got people that are playing this out to feed red meat to their ever-dwindling base. You know, uh, Kansas, sure, it's a red state. When you look down and drill down to it, it's becoming more purple every day. And especially where we see those areas of growth here in the state. Um, we're, we're, we're a state that's losing population, except for in urban areas. In urban areas, we're gaining more population all the time. And in those urban areas, that population growth tends to be more liberal. 
somebody told me that for people like us, for people who are transgender, for people who are part of the LGBTQ community, as we are more and more accepted, we represent the future. This is the way our country's heading. This is the way society is heading. This is the way civilization is heading. We are more accepted every day. We've got a long ways to go in a lot of places, but we're more accepted every day. So if we represent the future, those people that refuse to accept us, those people that refuse, the people who put up every barricade, they represent the past. And that's a scary thing to think of. If you're a part of the past, and we're seeing these reactions based out of fear. You see this all the time. It's not about love. It's not about promoting society. It's not about doing something to better people. This is out of fear. It's reaction over and over again of fear that they're afraid they're going to become insignificant. And so now they're trying to find ways to lash out. Instead of trying to build themselves up to maintain their significance, they're looking at how they can belittle other people to make themselves look better. But on one hand, talking about the political end of it, because you said Kansas was a red state. Can you really call Kansas a red state anymore, given Kansas took one of the most entrenched members of the reactionary right, Sam Brownback, and thoroughly repudiated him? Can you really call this a a red state now? 41% of Kansas voted voted for Joe Biden. You know, and in my my world, that's we're we're purple. You know, we're maybe a little more on the red side of purple. But we're still we're purple. And it's definitely getting there. We have a, a Democratic governor. Um, and I mean, it's an ongoing thing in Kansas. You know, Kansas is known for its public education systems, and yet here we have. The, the red side of our state attacking public education, even though it's one of the things that Kansas delivered for the rest of the United States over and over again. We've led the way in so many areas, you know, and even, I mean, a lot of us here in the LGBTQ community, we know this, the pride flag, that rainbow flag, Gilbert Baker, a Kansan. You know, the first gay men's chorus in San Francisco the person that assembled it graduated from, I believe, Bethel College here in Kansas. And I think that's part of the reaction to this, is that they're trying to not let go of this. While the people of Kansas are saying, look at us. Out of our four Congress people, we elected Sharice Davids, Native American, part of the LGBTQ community, you know, and, and, a, and a woman. And... Then you get the rest of Kansas redistricting maps in such a way so that Sharice won't stand a chance of winning again. I mean, it, it's and why? Because because we need to have four Republican Congress people. You know, we should have better representation than that. We should have if we're this close. You know, Democrats are this much, and we're this purple. That representation on the federal level, on the state level, should be more reflective of that as well. But on that other side, let's talk about the Democrats for a minute because. You're starting to hear this in democratic circles, at least in the Beltway. You're starting to hear, maybe we need, Leah Thomas is going to hurt us in November. And maybe we need to back off this whole trans sports thing and this trans rights thing. Because we're going to have a bloodbath in November if you push this. How do you answer to Democrats strategists, pundits who are saying this right now? That's a really good question. And that's another thing that weighs heavy on my shoulders because, I mean, we know when you drill down into it, it's not about sports. We've got to get out there and get the message out that that there's a reason behind this. And that reason behind this is attacking people's rights. You know, I mean, we can sit there all day long and say, you know, name, name, a, name a high school trans athlete that's a state champion. There's none in Kansas. There are eight transgender athletes possibly in Kansas right now because they applied for a variance. Eight people. We don't even know if they made the team. We know seven of them were trans boys. We know one was a trans girl. But there's no newspaper. There's no, no. newspaper headline saying trans girl won state tennis. You know, but now let me make sure I got that right. Representative Byers, make sure eight, 
eight, eight in Kansas. Eight and seven are trans boys. Right. No, oh, everybody who's listening to this right now, did you hear that? Especially people like Barbara Earhart and people like Nancy Hogshead Maycar. Eight, seven were boys. Let that sink in for a minute. I, I personally think that if the Democratic National Committee believes that, the entire Democratic National Committee should be sacked. I don't, I personally repudiate any, anyone who says that transgender people are the reason why we could lose at the ballot. I'm not, I, I don't buy it. I think that, I think that just insults the intelligence of the voting public. I think people should, people can see through this, but that's another thing. Why is this a thing in the heartland? Because I expect this and I mean, I, we're both heartlanders. Grew up in Oklahoma, I grew up in Nebraska. And one thing I know even about conservative heartlanders is that there's a there's a sense of fairness in the in the in the farm belt. Why is this a thing now in the Midwest? I understand why it's a thing for Christy Nome. She's trying to get she's trying to become president of the United States and run over the corpses of transgender people to do it. But why is this a thing? Well, How does I mean, this become a thing. I've heard the governor of Iowa has aspirations to become president as well. You know, um, and and so step on people, crush them, use them as, as a footstool, get yourself higher up. I mean, this is what happens over and over again. And like I said in my testimony, this is bullying. And yeah, we, even within the transgender community, we know that, that about 25% of trans women agree that somehow or another there's this advantage. But the science doesn't back that up. The science is fuzzy, but when you drill down into it, even the people that the other side quote for their science, if you look at the rest of the science, they, they'll talk about Joanne Harper and her studies done out of, was it Cambridge, um, where she talks about body mass. But they leave out the part that her study also says oxygen changes. When the metabolism rates for oxygen within three months of starting testosterone blockers changes dramatically. And so a trans woman might look like a muscle car, but there's not enough gas to get it through the finish line. That's no the hemoglobin studies that she's been working on at Lonsborough in the UK. And people forget. And uh, uh, Oh, yes, people do forget about that. But another thing is, is there a trans health care ban coming in Kansas? Because you see, you see these trans athlete bills. The affirming care bill is sure to follow. We had an affirming care bill introduced last year. We had an attack on the affirming care introduced last year. Um, we found out about it, went immediately with a press junket to, to talk about it the day it was filed. It never got a hearing. It, it was kind of buried. It's still alive. It's sitting in a committee, but it's not going to get a hearing because it didn't make it through our turnaround time. Just like last year, I've got Republicans coming to me and telling me they don't want this bill. They know it's wrong. They know it's bad. They've come to sit down and say, can we find some sort of a compromise so that we can do something that will hardly have any damage, but get it through, and that way we can just walk away from it, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. And, you know, how do you compromise human rights? You don't. You know, and as far as my, my Democrat brothers and sisters who say this is going to hurt them in elections, you know, they didn't think I'd win either. Not especially not by 11 percent. And I'm pretty sure that if you talk with the folks in Colorado, they didn't think Brianna Tatum was going to win. And yet here she's going into her third term, you know, or Dana Caron or, you know, or Sarah McBride in Delaware, Sarah McBride, Taylor Small, um, you know. I mean, we can just keep going and going and going. And, you know, there, there are only eight of us, but there's only eight of us for now. How important do you think it was for trans folks to have you in Topeka fighting the fight? Um, it's incredibly important. You know, I, I tell people sometimes that I represent District 86, but my constituents are all over the state. 
And, you know, I get the feedback from them. I get the emails from them. I get the text messages from them. I, I get the, the, the Twitter comments. I get the, the Facebook posts as we're sitting here and, and doing this from my office. I'm looking at the bulletin board on the other side of my computer screen. And, you know, this is just one of the things that I received. Hi, Stephanie. I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for all the work that you do to support trans rights during your time in the house. Not somebody that's even one of my constituents. You know, um, in the light of everything that happened, I wanted to let you know how lucky we are to have you in this legislature. Another somebody else who's not part of District 86. And I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's this over and over and over again, the sense of belief, the sense of finally. Um, when we had our rally uh, before going in to give testimony on this bill, when I spoke, one of the things that I did is I sang the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Because for me as a kid growing up in Oklahoma, I would play that on my horn as part of my personal warm-up before my band classes every day while I was a kid, while I was a student. Because the hope that somewhere over the rainbow, there's a place for me. You know, somewhere over the rainbow. And... I, I, had, I couldn't get through the song. I mean, I, I broke down partway through it because for us who are transgender, somewhere over the rainbow is here and the sometime is now. We don't need to wait any longer. We are at that tipping point that was on Time Magazine in 2014. You know, they may have jumped the gun a little bit. We moved beyond that. And, you know, where it used to be that trans people was like, you know, Survey America is like uh, one out of every eight said they knew somebody who was transgender. And now that's one out of every three. And the Kansas legislature, that's one out of every one knows someone who is transgender out of the 165 people that work in this place. It, it is changing. And we're seeing that hope expressed and um, seeing it in all kinds of ways, you know. The, the, the secrets that we in the transgender community knew and try to tell people, you know, we don't use the internet except for the fact that a trans woman designed some of the, pro some of the processes that are used that we have to have when we do this. Um, anytime someone flips on the Sirius XM, it's a trans person who came up with the idea, originated it, and CEO of corporation. I mean, this is more and more and more, not to mention what we see in media, what we see in and film, what we see on television, and who we see in politics. To see that hope kind of taken away, I'm going to fight against it no matter what. You know, I'm trying to make sure that people understand this. I mean, we've got a president who recognizes the Transgender Day of Visibility. You know, and here in Kansas, our governor has recognized the Transgender Day of Visibility. Originally from Oklahoma. Just below you is the state of Texas, and Texas has been in the news on this issue as well. Gut reaction to what Governor Abbott and Attorney General Ken Paxton are doing there. Well, let's start with the fact that Ken Paxton is a convicted felon. We know that. That's, not, that's a matter of public record. Lieutenant Governor of Texas has had so much foulness in his life as a young man that he had to change his name. And then there's Governor Abbott. And, you know, when you've got the district attorneys from one county after another in Texas say, we are not going to enforce this. When you've got all these other things happening, when people say on the legal side, this can't happen. But then on the flip side, you have the largest children hospital in Texas, the one in Houston, announcing they're no longer doing affirmative health care for trans kids because it's too big of a risk. But we know that hospitals work off of donors. We know that some donor has said, if you do this, we're taking the money, right? You know, I mean, how else would it be happening like this? It's, it's sickening at best because, you know, Texas, of all places, fought two civil wars to preserve slavery. When people talk about, remember the Alamo, when Texas revolted against Mexico, it was over slavery because Mexico had banned slavery and Texas was trying to hang on to it. And then when they fought in the U.S. Civil War, same thing. 
Texas, um, God, I wish it was a wonderful, lovely, lovely place. I have many lovely friends in Texas. I love visiting the state. There's a great thing there. And for those folks that are there in Texas, I want to support them however I can. But this state just keeps coming back over and over and over again and standing on the wrong side of history when it comes to civil rights. From a personal standpoint, how much does cultural heritage play in the amount of fight you put in for the community? Whether we're talking about the expanded culture of my being Native American or we're talking about my more intimate familial culture, um, fight is what we've got. Um, I didn't, I didn't grow up middle class, you know, um, my grandmother, when she was young, uh, had a nail pierced one of her arms, caused gangrene to set in. And when she was 12 years old, they amputated her arm. And so I grew up with a grandmother that had lost her right arm, was right-handed, had learned how to do everything with her left hand, and the resilience of not letting only having one arm hold her back from anything. And when you think about it, my age, I'm, I'm 59. My grandmother grew up at a time that cars did not have automatic transmissions, so she had to drive a stick shift. Shoes did not have Velcro. You had to tie your laces. And she did all this. She diapered my dad without pampers back in the day. It was cloth diapers with one hand. The fight that you do whatever it takes to do what you have to do to make life work. That's always been there. But going back into my Native American heritage and, you know, being told in the 1830s that your nation can't live here anymore, we're going to move you to a different place. Um, and then getting to that place and being put in with another Native nation because you have to speak the same language until you're able to file civil lawsuits and, and federal lawsuits to be removed and create your own separate identity and to constantly have to fight back for that identity as you know the United States tried to erase it in the 1900s up until about 1935. All of these things happening all together is a part of my cultural background. And I, I don't deal well with erasure because I believe every person should be treated with dignity and respect, period, unless they do something to tell you they don't want your respect. But you give them respect to start with. And not this, if you respect me, I'll respect you. That doesn't work. Somebody has to start with respect first. Right. And so I respect everybody until they prove me otherwise. And it, it's people should always come first, should be human rights above policy, no matter what. And I, you can't just sit back in the back seat and go, okay, whatever. You have to speak out because I'm. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs a champion. Everybody needs somebody who says, you are someone of value. You are not broken. You are worthwhile. And, you know, I, I think that that fight was instilled in me a long time ago. And, it was, and I'll just keep going with it. You talked about erasure. And a few days ago, there was certain article written by John Lon, the editor-in-chief of Swimming World magazine, who says that if Leah Thomas, who by this time next week will be sitting in a starter's block at the NCAA championships, if she wins, does she deserve an asterisk next to her name? The thing that I would say is that if she wins, it will be notable that for the first time in history, a trans woman has won a national championship in swimming. Now, it has yet to be seen how that race will plan out. And we also need to know how this works out on a bigger picture. Because anybody who's been involved in athletics you know that sometimes your best this year, your best next year, are not the same best. So, you know, the fact that, that Leah has won Ivy League championships, well, I don't know. How much of a swing powerhouse has the Ivy League traditionally been? Um, by my recollection, not really much of one. So, yeah, she's a big fish, but 
not necessarily in the biggest ponds right now. And on that national stage, she stands a chance. But, you know, whether she does or she doesn't, she's still Leah Thomas and she's still a girl. She's still a woman. If Leah wins, I'll celebrate it because it's a victory. And at the same time, will it have an impact? Sure, probably will. But it shouldn't be something that we tell Leah, for the sake of the trans community, don't win. I don't buy you know. that. I don't buy that thinking. There are people saying it'll it'll make things worse, <coughs> and I've always find that very interesting. If Leah wins, it'll make things worse. Does Stephanie Byers getting elected make things worse? Does Wendy, does, did Wendy Carlos writing great soundtracks make things worse? How does excellence make anything worse? And see, that's that's the one thing. I mean, for you, one thing you pointed out, you score one for us people who found this truth later in our lives and were and had to wait to access this. You came out at 51. I came out at 46. Even through all that, for yourself, where do you find your trans joy? Even if it was delayed and deferred for some time, where do you find it? I think I just find my joy, period. Um, uh, hiding being trans robbed me of joy. That fear of being found out, that, that fear of it upending my life. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, coming out upended my life, but in positive ways. <laughs> All of a sudden, I had friendships and relationships that never, I, I didn't realize they kept everybody at arm's length because I didn't want anybody to get too close to me. And then being authentic, being honest about who I was with everybody opened up so many doors um, and, and made, made, a, made a huge, tremendous difference. So finding my joy and, and I find my joy in every day, um, you know, I'm, I celebrate all gender because of the fact we understand that, you know, I understand it exists on a spectrum. Um, and, you know, I, for someone who is non-binary, uh, more power to them. Uh, and I recognize them. I'm, I'm a binary person. I'm not a non-binary person, but that doesn't mean that I don't recognize other people are right. And so the fact that I'm surrounded by women as my friends, but I also still have my male friends. You know, I, I'm not confined uh, and I'm able to, to be myself and express myself in, in ways that, you know, for so many years, we just kept secret, kept hidden and not able to tell anybody. You know, so I find my joy there. I, I, it's, it's just walking out into life as yourself. You know, um, in, in our rally yesterday, I mentioned the fact that when I began to live authentically, I brought myself to the light. And that before that time, those, all those years before, I walked in the darkness. You know, and because I didn't know that I could tell my parents I made that walk without a parental hand to hold the whole time, without friends' hands to hold. And it's a very lonely place to be. But coming out and being in the light gave me access to all those things that I missed out on so much of my life. That's where the joy comes from. Coming into the home stretch. I mean, right now there's this fight over 484, and it's going to be another one. It's going to be a knockdown. It's going to be drag, drag out. I want you to put on the band director's hat here for a second. <laughs> if someone came up to you and said, we need a fight song for the times to come in this fight to stop 484, what would you select? Uh, John Bon Jovi, It's My Life. It's one that comes to mind. Um, 
Uh, I, uh, I'm sure there'll be a Lady Gaga tune in there. <laughs> just put on the spot like this, my brain just goes crazy. Because, I mean, I, I just finished watching Spielberg's Best Side Story this last weekend. And, and I'm still f- full of all of that music. Um, which, you know, is, is, it's, it's a tragedy, but it talks about unrequited love and expressing that love and the hope that love overcomes. And, uh, you know, if there's a song out there that talks about living life out of love and not out of fear, that would be the one that I would grab hold of. And if there's not one, I'll probably write one sometime. So. Exit question. Doing it John McLaughlin style. The exit question. How do you answer to those, especially those who are mainly on the coast, who say that a state like Kansas will never be safe for trans people? The Midwest and the South are unreclaimable. How do you answer to those who would say a trans person, example, can never live in Lawrence or live in Wyandotte County or live in Goodland? How would you answer to that? There are trans people everywhere across this state, across Iowa, across Oklahoma, across Texas, across Arkansas. And sometimes that they're, they're just there and just people until we see something like what's happened in Texas service. And then you see the thousands of people that stand up and say, I'm trans, or they're the parents to say, my child is trans, or they're the friends to say, my best friend is trans. That's, it's there. Transgender is not confined to one coast or the other. It is across the world. And of course, the perception is somehow another, it's easier in California, might cause people from the Midwest to relocate to California. However, California doesn't have a transgender legislator. Kansas does. Colorado does. Oklahoma has a non-binary African-American Muslim legislator. You know, we're we're not the Yahoos in the wheat fields, cornfields, and hay fields. We are the foundation of this nation at this point. And we don't maybe have the 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 coastal eliteness to us, but at the same time, we exist, we are here, and we will continue to be here and continue to fight here because these these lands here are the lands that we belong to. You know, I mean, granted, we have this whole idea that people own land. We know the land was here before us, the land will be here after us. So these are the lands that we belong to, not they belong to us. And we're not going anywhere, and we'll fight here as, as much as we possibly can. And for those folks out on the coasts, we know that they've got their own fights for other reasons, for other things. But together, we need to work together, you know. This is why in December at the International LGBTQ Leadership Conference, this trans woman from Kansas was speaking on plenaries. This trans woman from Kansas introduced Andrea Jenkins from Minnesota to receive an achievement award because it is in DC. So we're out on the East Coast when we do this, but the heartland. Is just as important with just as much to offer. We just don't have oceans. That's why I tell my neighbors in Connecticut all the time. Representative Stephanie Byers, thank you for first for what you do, the fight that you're putting up, because it counts. Everything counts. And it's winnable, it's needed. And this transgender person thanks you for it. And also thank you for being on the transporter room. I mean, and of course, as always, we consider you a friend of the show. So thank you. So when it comes, especially when it comes to the political realm, we're always going to, you're all, we always have you on our speed dial. Yeah. Thanks, Carly. <laughs> we're going to, we know you got some fights to fight down in Topeka. So we're going to beam you back down to the Kansas state Capitol. Thanks to representative Stephanie Byers, for joining us on the transporter room today. And if you don't know who this woman is, you better ask somebody. You better ask somebody because in the Sunflower State, she's getting things done. 
And I want to thank all of you for joining us in the Transporter Room this week. And a reminder, if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what I'm doing here, please leave a message on our Twitter page. Leave a message at our Facebook page and leave a message at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Remember, everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do it for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week. <laughs>